What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Pull BMX Podcast. It's just me today. Just Justin Wall. Um, no Kyle, no Tony, no Shane, no Shannon. Just me interviewing the one and only Kim Hayashi. Um, man, Kim has a super interesting story. Um, and really, this is going to be just a Zoom call to get some interesting facts and, you know, that interview for a story I was doing. But you got to hear it from her own words. So um, we're just going to jump straight into it. Kim Hayashi, Redline legend, but also AZ legend, current Remix BMX team manager. Give it a listen. Enjoy. Are you in Tulsa or? Yes. Yeah, here in Tulsa. So been here for about three, almost four years now crazy to think that oh wow really oh my yeah, god when i first got hired i moved directly here so i was working on like a co-working space oh, uh, okay now that the headquarters open i'm i'm here full-time so gotcha nice not bad where i can't remember where were you originally from uh nebraska okay. grew up in nebraska mainly so okay. still in the midwest but gotcha yeah. <laughs> well, cool thanks for thanks for joining us with me um I, so I have uh, International Women's Week planned out like a full week of, of um, interviews and kind of topics of past racers, current racers, future racers, kind of the, um, the, whole, the whole spiel, essentially. Um, but I wanted to kind of do a where are they now with you? Because a mm-hmm. lot of like my age, around my age, you were the pro looking up to. Like you were, you were the woman racer. Um, of that era so I wanted to kind of touch base and see yeah yeah get your thoughts on your career and you know what you've been doing since so okay uh do you have like specific questions or you just want me to kind of like let you know what I'm doing right now or um I have a couple questions but really just kind of organic whatever we want to talk about I'm, I'm up to so <laughs> okay um so I kind of had a weird path after retiring from BMX obviously I'm still involved just because I I manage um which recently has kind of taken like a back seat uh the last thing that I dealt with was really bringing Cedric onto the team um and then since then I've been poking my head in and out <clears throat> um so the team kind of knows like my my lack of like being seen at the races is not because like, I don't want to be there. It's because of my new job. Yeah. So um, before this, I was actually applying medical school. So I took a little bit of a longer path, but um, I got waitlisted like three years in a row and uh, decided I was spending like a whole heck of a lot of money. Um, I was pretty picky because I was older and where I like wanted to go to med school. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I didn't want to just uproot my entire life. So um, when I got waitlisted wait for like a third time, I uh, got a job offer basically because I was working in food and beverage and I'd worked there f- basically since like I'd left BMX yeah. and I'm now like the general manager of this like brand new sushi spot in downtown Phoenix. Um, so it takes up pretty much all of my time. I pretty much live there, um, but it's a, it's a neat thing because it's like a locally owned and operated uh, business, which is awesome. So yeah. Still within like the managing realm. Uh, it's pretty interesting too, because uh, the re- part of the remix team came through uh, and ate at the restaurant um, when they came for the Winter Nationals. And so they could see me in more of like that restaurant style of management uh, versus like BMX. But the way that I manage both is 
almost about the same, like growing up writing for Redline at the age of like 14, um, I'd give up a lot. And I felt like, yeah, like bubble was in and out. He never really like sat under the team pit. It was basically me and Carnsey. Um, (laughs) and then various amounts of pros who were like Javier Colombo and like Randy Stumphauser, Kyle, like a couple guys who would sit in and out who are just traveling with Jason or just needed really a place to sit. And uh, so when I took on like managing a team first with Supercross and now with Remix, um, I created that sort of like professionalism that I expect out of all of my writers, but I make it more of like a family atmosphere. Um, So it's more of a a group where I don't know if anybody's ever really noticed, except for some of my teenagers, for the most part, they sit in the the team pit, like they hang out, they like to hang out with me, they like to hang out with like everybody on the team, which is a really cool thing because I think BMX gives this huge opportunity for like pros or older riders to kind of interact with younger riders and really be that role model and that influence. Um, And the same goes with my restaurant. Like we are one big family. Everybody cares about the restaurant as much as I do. Same with the team uh, for BMX. And so it's, it's a really neat situation to bounce back and forth, but my managing style is like basically the same. So that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you talk about, you know, your time at Redline and, um, going back even, even before that to when you were really starting, um, BMX, I think Gordy's was your first team that you were officially on. Yeah. So really I've only really ridden for like three teams in my entire life, which is really kind of a neat situation. Um, most people don't realize I didn't grow up my entire life racing BMX, like, I was 12 years old. My mom forced me to get on a bike and I (laughs) kind of realized that I was pretty decent at it. Um, but my parents wanted to do it as a family. And so I started racing at 12 by 15. I was a pro. And then basically by like 24, I was done. So it's like such a short, short, sweet career. Um, but yeah, I started racing and really I started racing for Gordy's because they wanted my brother. Gotcha. Gordy's when they take on a rider, um, I, don't, I believe it's still the same, but when they take on a rider, they take on the whole family. Right. So with my brother, they got me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So Gordy's Enigma Redline. Um, it's funny. Terry Sonner actually reminded me of the Enigma team. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, in, I was talking to her a couple of days ago. But she was like, yeah, I remember Terry Sonner. I have not heard that name in a very long time. Oh, How is she? she? She's really good. She actually, she hopes you're doing well. I told her I was interviewing you too. So she, oh. <laughs> was, she was excited for sure. Oh, nice. Yeah. I haven't seen her in a, in a very long time. So she was, she was pretty amazing. She's a little uh pocket rocket for sure. <laughs> so she's yeah, she was like a second or like a third grandma to me growing oh, up. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Nice. <clears throat> but so you, you kind of have both sides of the sanctioning coin. So you, mm-hmm raced NBL, you raced ABA, and you did well in, in both. Um, mm-hmm. How is that in, you know, such a short career, how is that experiencing both sides and both styles of, of sanctioned bodies? Um, Obviously, like an ABA title, pro title has always eluded me. So <laughs> clearly one sanction was built more for me than the other. Um, I was very much like UCI runs it. And I don't know, I can't remember, the rules are changing all the time, but I'm like a one lap, no crap sort of person. So like I give a hundred percent for like one lap. Right. Um, and I just put out, put it on the line every time. And in 
for the longest time in ABA, it was like three mains. So I'd get like a first, a first, and then like do something stupid and then end up with an eighth. So like a one, one, eight, which always ended, I ended up on the podium, but at the same time, like it was either second or third. So for a long time, like I got two amateur titles on cruiser and ABA and then, um, just had a difficult time, like trying to grab that, that kind of pro title in ABA. But I will say like riding MBL was just kind of the luck of the draw. Like we happened to have an MBL track out here and I started racing it even when I was on Gordy's. And so when, when I became a pro and rode for Redline, I still wanted to kind of continue that. Um, and I had never really like gone to the MBL grands and I showed up with like a paper plate. Cause I was like, not ready, did not realize like I had to run a three digit number <laughs> and I won like as an amateur and people were just like, who the heck is this person? Um, and it kind of just took off that I love the tracks. They're definitely more technical. I was a big jumper, um, obviously being like four foot 10, there was not much I could do. And it's like a, a flat hill. And if I get behind, that's, it's really tough. But with MBL, like I was able to wait, kind of like maneuver my way through the track uh, based on skills, which was great. Cause it kind of set me up ready to go to the worlds, which worlds is like a big thing now. And back then, like, I don't know if we just didn't know much about it, but there weren't many people going. And so when I started hitting on the world stage, I was really thankful that I had raced NBL because all of those tracks were just as technical. I mean, I would show up at a track. I think my first out of the country race was in Paulina, Brazil for the world. And I kid you not, could not get over this first jump. I literally second lap, like went hard and could not figure out how to get over. I must've crashed four times, four times in a row on the same jump and like could not figure it out. And so we ended up having to go to a local track where they had the same sort of jump and I had to work on it. Um, But it was kind of like a blessing in disguise going back and forth between sanctions. Um, But at the same time, I think like that's part of the reason why like I also kind of made a name for myself is because I was racing both. So people on the East coast, like through MBL kind of knew me and then through ABA growing up five, 10 minutes from the ABA office, like people knew me being a Chandler local. And so it was really nice. And that's kind of how I built my fan base, which was awesome. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The, the MBL downhill, bigger hills, like bigger, just starting hills, but then um, the straightaway is the gnarly as well. That <clears> is kind <throat> of what I grew up around and that's that's what I knew uh-huh. growing up in Ohio and then to Nebraska and obviously yeah. Nebraska is pretty flat but we still had those styles so that's that's interesting to hear your your take that helped you through your career that's that's awesome yeah I think it gave me a, a ramble of both not only did I have to have like that straight sure strength and power just to get through like the ABA tracks to get out of the gate really down the first straight but I also had to have those skills from the MBL to kind of like make it through the track, like not just the starting hill on the first jump, but to make it all the way through the track. And I think that's what made me such like a well-rounded rider. Um, And a lot of people like have always asked, like, how did you stay dominant in like both sanctions and then just show up on the world stage and like do really well. And that's, that's really what it was, was like a combination of being able to do both styles of racing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. And I I think, today's racers and i'm not saying that they they don't have the jumping capabilities they don't have the same opportunities to to gain those skills and that power but there was something about that late 90s early 2000s <laughs> like into that that era that 
you saw that a lot with with especially female racers coming up um, throughout. Yeah. Um, with you, but then also some of the amateur girls, they were already jumping and had really good bike skill. Yeah. Um, at that at those ages. Um, yeah. Is that you know? Do you still see that when you're looking for girls for remix or when you're looking for for anyone for any team like? Are you still seeing that? Um, not necessarily. And it's been tough because a lot of the girls on the team, like take the Sam Hammers, for example, they're very much power driven, Sierra power driven. Um, she has improved her, her skills like within the past like two years. Yeah. But it's tough to entice girls who don't necessarily see themselves like on the Supercross range or doing Supercross or going to the Olympics to get them to want to acquire those skills because so often like they are successful on tracks right now yeah. that they have to, they're not pushed to have to figure out how to get over the tracks. And so, um, I don't, for me, my basis on looking for like riders for the team, especially girls is mainly like just well-rounded riders, girls who have really great attitudes and just have that kind of like spunk and flair and can be more of like a role model. Um, they're really great in school. They've got great parents. Um, I think Logan Lee is one of the first girls that I actually kind of picked up and like one after that, I saw a little bit of myself in her, yeah. um, which has been really great. Uh, last year at the Winter Nationals, like over that triple, um, I'd asked her a few times if I think it was, I don't know if she jumped half of it or manualed it, but she was like trying to pump it. And I had asked her like, hey, have you tried to jump or manual it? And she said, I didn't practice. I said, well, why don't you give it a go in a race? I'm not pressuring you, but like, I think you can do it. And it really kind of made her stand out, which yeah. is really great to see. Um and so seeing, I think, like I said, Logan is really the first girl that I kind of saw a little bit of, of me in. She's tiny. She's super fast. Uh, she's willing to kind of like put it out on the line and she's got really great skill for her age. So, so yeah. What a pickup. Logan's a powerhouse. <laughs> like that's, that's awesome. Yeah. She's so great. And she's so quiet, which reminds me of me when I was like, probably her age, like nine, 10, 11 years old. And then when I got into BMX, I really was forced out of my shell. So when you're getting, Hey, we need to interview you. Hey, you got to be in front of the camera. You kind of stop being shy very quickly because you have to be. Um, and so Logan's kind of coming out her shell out of her shell, just, a, just a little bit, which is really cool to see. That's sweet. That's sweet. <laughs> um, so you mentioned you were a, obviously you're a team manager for remix, but team manager for supercross as well. Um, how did you go from the racer to team manager shift? How was that jump? Um, it was more so, so the way that I kind of gotten with Bill Ryan was when I decided I got kind of a little bit of an itch. So I came back after like kind of quitting for like a year mm -hmm. and I just started riding really for Gordy's again. It was like a local team. I was just having fun. And so I rode a Gordy's Jersey at like the Chula Vista Supercross. Um, and Courtney Tomei was like, Hey, like went to Bill and said, Hey, why don't we bring Kim on? Like if she's going to be just kind of riding, whatever. So I actually, he approached me. I rode for Speedline for a bit, um, and I kind of saw he needed some help with the team. And so I told him, I said, "Hey, like, I can help you if you'd like. Like, there are some things that I know coming from Redline. Like, I can try to help you manage the team and like put together a team that's a little bit more solid." Um, and so he was all in, and it kind of progressed from there. Um, and then, yeah, kind of like uh, I work with Rachel Midak quite often, and when she decided to leave Supercross, that was kind of like my exit as well it was kind of like my time to I'd already done my thing at Supercross and 
um, I saw kind of what Dale was doing and I wanted to help him out because he was essentially like brand new to BMX. So it was like my way to kind of not go with a company that's already been established, but to try to help build a company, um, which is a really great opportunity to be a part of. So, yeah, it's the obviously Redline Supercross remix. Like there's (laughs) banger, banger. And now you created a a banger. Like that's, that's an awesome three brands to work with for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting there. I think uh, in the past two years, Remix is kind of like, we've really kind of put ourselves on the map. And what I like about Dale is he's willing to take on ideas and he's willing to um, kind of go with, with what it is that I kind of envisioned for the team. And so last year we had this vision of doing two different gear sets, which was amazing. Uh, worked out well. We did the custom helmets for the amateurs. And our pros have always had custom helmets. So it really made it feel professional. Like it was yeah. very clean, cut, professional. And this year I looked at Dale and I said, God, what are we going to do? And I had reached out to lead to like help us design jerseys. And I just asked them for two colors and they came back with three. And I sent it over to Dale and I said, well, what do you think? And he, he kind of looked at it and I said, I mean, we can go with all three, but, and he said, why don't we do it? So I said, sure. Um, <laughs> uh, and so now, like, we've kind of set that bar. We've done three different color jerseys. The kids should have their custom helmets coming up, I think, in Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, I make them all sign, like, contracts and things of that nature. And um, so it's a really great opportunity to kind of show the world, like, what BMX has to really kind of offer. Because, like you said, like, growing up in, like, the late 90s and BMX is so different in the early 2000s. BMX is so different. Um like what I was, what we offer sometimes as, as a factory team to our kids is what I was getting riding for Gordy's. Um, and then stepping up to like watching Ashley Recklaw and like GT, I wanted to be her. Like I wanted to have like the Nike clip shoes and the Panasonic shockwave CD player, <laughs> yeah. um, but they showed up like always looking professional, looking like an army. And and I really loved that about them. Yeah. Um, so trying to take remix to that level is kind of like where we want to head. So, so with those, with your contracts that you have them signed, um, what, what are some things that really you'd say are, are unique to this day and age? Obviously social media is big with any mm-hmm. team contract. Are there any other things like in those that you think other people really wouldn't expect them to have to sign and agree to? Um, not really. I mean, I have like your typical kind of like behavior clause uh, in our contracts where, you know, they have to present themselves in a manner. I tell the kids, like, even when it comes to, I had a long talk before we even picked up Cedric. I said, you know, you're, you're the face of, of BMX right now. And if you have a bad lap, like you need to brush it off. And if a kid wants an autograph or a kid wants a picture, you got to put a smile on your face and you come back to the trailer, get the trailer and scream your head off like for my little guys like cry do whatever but when you come back out like I want you guys to be putting on like this professional sort of like persona um so I usually don't allow the kids to kind of get away with like using like inappropriate language um things of that nature um but for the most part we have like a, a a social media thing that's in there um and really that's kind of about kind of about it. There's not anything really special. It just kind of lays out what we offer them um, as like a bare minimum so that later on. The thing about BMX, I think I've grown to to see and, and evolve with a lot of teams, especially factory teams, is 
I love that they go on like just handshakes or like a piece of paper um, that says they're going to ride. But I remember growing up and getting my red line contract and it had red line and it said confidential and it had that lawyer jargon. Um, and I really had no idea what I was signing. And so my parents had to go through it with me and understand what I was responsible for and what Redline was going to provide for me. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to kind of bring that back and show kids like when you sign a contract for like a company or when, if you go to college to play like a sport in college, like these are all things that you're going to be encountered with. Like, yeah. so we started to bring that back. I would probably say one thing that was in my red line contract was like an injury clause. So at the bottom, like if we were injured or out for more than like three consecutive months, then we had the option as like a company to kind of like part ways with that rider. Yeah. Now I would never essentially do that unless that rider is like not fully committed. Like they just have a massive injury um, and they're just like not in BMX anymore and they don't want to do it anymore. But we do have like a clause of that nature, like, in their contracts the same as if they decide on their own accord to leave then any product or anything that's given to them is like our risk is going to be given back to us or they can pay for it which is not a huge deal so yeah. yeah just something more like professionally run i think um like i said all too often a lot of these kids and i've, I've had a lot of these kids come onto the team where you know or even adults like they think they can just make a commitment and then we pay all this money for stuff and then they just decide to leave. And it's like, well, that's money. One you took away from not only the company, but your team members that yeah. that's money we could have spent on them or marketing or whatever the case may be. So. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the thing about, you know, BMX, obviously you learn more than just bike skill. Definitely. It's um, mm -hmm. you learn how to, you know, present yourself, but be, be a functioning human as well. And that, yeah. <laughs> things like that bring up a professional side that's that's awesome to, yeah. to see your well, I tell most of my writers they said my experience from bmx i watched all too often so many writers that i raced against who teams would use them for their ability they would either fall off track or get an injury and not do as well and all of a sudden they're gone yeah. and nobody could nobody knew where they went they just dropped off the face of the earth and then you come to find out like they're in jail or they're on drugs or things of that nature. And it's like, I want to be able to provide a space with our team to be able to teach these kids how to be successful outside of BMX. And I think I learned it the hard way as well. Like when I got dropped from Redline, it was a very sudden thing. Um, I left, went back into that, what we call the real world, right? And spent my ages just racing BMX, didn't have a job that was my job. Um, and I I tell the kids all that all that often, like, nobody cares. You get out of BMX and you go to apply for a job. Nobody cares that you were an athlete or a professional athlete, um, in BMX. Um, they won't hire you because you have zero work experience, but at least like I was able to use the skills that I learned, like in BMX to make me a successful BMX racer and apply that to getting a job and apply that to like becoming a successful adult. And so I want to be able to provide that for the kids, like on remix, like, Hey, I require all the kids, like when they want to apply to be on remix, like you have to submit a resume, you have to sit down with me and talk with me and basically go through like an interview process. Um, bikes have to be kept nice and clean. Like they are held to like certain standards. Um, and I tell them all the time, like if you can dedicate yourselves and get up at 6am to do sprints, go to the gym three times a week, go to the track, work on these skills. There's absolutely no reason why you can't be 
earlier on time for an interview when you go and apply for a job. You can't show up to work and work 100% and do your job at 100%. Um, and so I really wanted to take that stance for these kids because I wanted to let them know they're not just BMX racers. That's not what defines them. They're great human beings and BMX is just a part of their life. So speaking of job interviews, the the question I always hated was or what's the most recent thing you've had to overcome? Mm. For you, you had to overcome the big hill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What I mean, you were really kind of a test dummy for a lot of that that era. Um, <laughs> any any advice that you're giving to your kids now when they're thinking about doing the big hill or like ex- stories that you bring back from from that those days? Um yeah, I mean, I tell the kids like I was probably one of a handful of riders that was was well equipped to be able to handle at least the track portion of a supercross track. Right. Um, myself, Sammy Cool, Shanae's Reed, Sarah Walker, like those girls all we we were jumpers. We had great technical skills. But the playing field gets really even when you walk up onto an eight meter hill and you're looking down, you can't see the bottom of the hill. Um yeah. it was it was tough. And I think going into 2008, the United States we were very far behind. Um, we were one of the only countries that didn't have access to like a supercross hill. So when we went to our test event in Beijing, it was literally a, all right, see you later. Like have at it. Um, <laughs> yeah. The way that they ran practice is they shut the hill down for like the first part of practice and let us do the track. And I, I looked at them and I begged the UCI, like, you got to open the hill. Like, the rest of the track is a normal, after the first turn, it's a normal BMX track. So like all of us are fine there, but like none of us, or at least from the United States, none of us had been up on the hill. So like we need as much practice as possible to get up on that hill. And so I stood there and I waited and I waited, and I waited and I, and I just said like, can I go? And they said, yeah, we'll open it. So I, I hauled up there and I will tell you my one thing. And I tell all the kids this, like, whether it was jumping a jump or doing a pro section or going up to the supercross hill, if I said I was going to do it, as soon as I clipped in, I did it. It didn't matter if I came up short on the jump before or I hit the gate or whatever. If I was dead set on doing it, that was it. And so when I went up the hill, I like looked and I, that was one of the first times I've ever been honestly scared. And I just took a breath. I clipped my foot in and I said, off I go. And, and I did it. And it was a lot easier like than I was expecting like at least the first two jumps um but the hill like I don't care who you are I know from experience like uh every time I had to get up there I I just did not want to be there riding a supercross track totally different I could ride a track like a supercross track all day long it was fine but when you stack eight people wide that was probably the most amount of injuries I've had was within supercross so that's tough. Like it's a tough pill to swallow um, when you just don't have practice and you're just kind of like fed into it and you're like a test dummy and, and, and things of that nature. And there's a lot of girls. Um, one I can name off the top of my head, who was a huge USA powerhouse was Crystal Heim. She, yeah. we got to Beijing and after that race, we didn't see her. And that was really unfortunate. Um, so there was a lot of like trial and error. And I think for us first group of girls, I think that was, I know for me, that was kind of what sealed the deal in like, I'm ready to retire. Um, as much as I wanted to go for the next Olympics and be in London, I just knew that I wanted some, a life after BMX and with injury after injury, I just could not do it anymore. And so 
I saw a lot of girls. Sammy Cools, for the most part, was done after the next Olympics. Um, Shanae's Reed, you, you saw her go not too long after that. Um, so it was tough to watch a lot of the girls that had a huge amount of talent just kind of wither away. Um, and and I think the girls nowadays um, are lucky that they have multiple amounts of tracks to be able to practice on. Um, we didn't get those little tabletop caser jumps. It was have at it. Yeah. Um, you know, there was lip and, so and landing. There was it no. It was literally lip and landing. Yeah, That's even in Chula Vista, it was literally lip and landing, and there was no. I think they start putting on like that little case pad, like after a few of the junior Devo camps. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is a scary feeling, and I'm not. Any girl comes and says like, "Hey, I'm scared." I'm like, "You have every right to be scared. It right. is." it is something that is scary to be on, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, watching these girls like Ava Corley, um, watching Skittles kind of come through Carly, uh, Carly Kane, even these girls who are like really well-equipped, um, uh, to have an honest conversation with them and ask them how they feel racing, like super cross Hill, like, especially at the elite level, I'm not sure that they're like, yeah, I really enjoy going up on that Hill eight wide. Um, cause it's, it's tough. It's scary. You get an elbow in front of you and there is one little slip and that that's kind of about it. So yeah, that, that race mode mentality is, is gnarly enough on a small track or yeah. a small hill. And then you take it up that, yeah, that elevated just circumstances. Yeah. And I mean, I'd be, I, I'm pretty straightforward person. I was pretty disappointed to see that for the Olympics, this is kind of what they came up with. Yeah. Um, because one, like, especially within BMX and particular in the United States, there's probably about like a good 75 to 80% of those racers that are pros that are racing without health insurance. Um, and we've seen so many of those riders and with the increase in like the, the risk of injury, um, it was a tough pill to watch, like watching rider after rider go through these, like, um, you know, these injuries and, and not necessarily having like the funds to be able to pay for it. Um, and, and I would have loved to see the Olympics. I think there would have been like a greater attraction, um, uh, if it were just on a normal Hill, um, because it creates more of like a, a closer racing style, which makes yeah. it more exciting. Um, it's hard, like watching the Beijing Olympics, it was really tough. They look like little ants going about the speed of, of like a little buggy. Um, so I think it's, it's hard to watch. And I think, especially for the U S girls, it's a big jump for them. Um, I know watching, I think the next girl who's about to hit super cross is like Ava Corley and to kind of watch to see how she continuously progress will be interesting. Um, I think if she has the right people in her corner and the consistent like encouragement and the group of people she decides to ride with, I think will help progress her in that manner. Um, yeah. Because it, it really is like watching uh, Rachel Midock go to Florida and hang out with some of those girls and to watch Carly Kane, like in that video, Rachel came up incredibly short, but Carly's like freaking out. <laughs> That's the sort of environment that like is really what these girls should be surrounding themselves with, you know, as, as a group, if they get better then the entire program gets better. Yeah. And I think all too often it's very catty, especially in women's racing that they're very secluded. You have your little groups. Um, but I will tell every single one of them, like I would not have been the racer that I was if I didn't have 
and Ashley Reckwell with me, if I didn't for sure have Sammy Cools with me, um, Sammy was probably the reason why I was so successful um, in a hundred percent honesty, because I think every race we went to, we'd push ourselves like to the limit where I knew I had to jump something because if Sammy didn't do it, that was the only way I was going to win. Um, yeah. You know, so hopefully these girls like continuously keep pushing each other and, and being encouraging towards each other, because that's the only way that they're all going to succeed, like together as a group, really. Yeah. Definitely. And I think we are, especially this, this off season really showed that of there was a lot of training camps in Florida, um, you know, especially at Oldvar at Tampa, like they're, that has become the spot. And like you were saying with, with Rachel going out there and meeting Carly and all the <laughs> other girls, like that, that was huge. But even outside of them, like Felicia's with the boys and they, she brings in, in the girls oh, yeah. and she flies in. Like, yeah. and it's awesome to see kind of the evolution of training grounds quote mm -hmm. unquote, in the yeah. United. So yeah. Started in SoCal, then went to, you know, Arizona, back to SoCal, now in Florida. Um, yeah. If you went back and during your first couple of years, 2002 to 2004, if you could change where you were training, would you? Would you go no. to a Florida? Gotcha. Okay. No, um, only because like for me, and, and I don't say this to too many people, even to like training for the Olympics, I wish I would have lived at home. Um, I think your home life is incredibly important. I think, um, like I said, the people that you surround yourself with is incredibly important. Um, and as soon as I kind of changed my atmosphere to living at the training center, like I could tell that my one, my, my drive to like continuously get up to, to train and put myself through it was kind of disintegrating. Um, it became really tough not to be surrounded by family and friends and the people that like always support you. Um, so that was probably one thing, like if I, if I could, I, I would definitely not change where I grew up racing, like growing up in Arizona. Um, and I think too, like not too many people know, but the Porzios ran Chandler BMX, like when I started racing and Lucas is a big dirt jumper. Um, and I will give him one thing when he helped his dad, like design the track, it was always like technically, difficult. Um, and, and it really pushed my skills. So I, I am very thankful. Like there are so many different elements that happened, like during my racing period that really add to the reason why I was successful. And so to pull any part of those pieces away, I, I don't think I would have been who I, who I was. So, so the answer would definitely be no. I loved, I love Arizona. I love being here. Um, I think then too, we had lots of girls that were ranked, um, like nag riders that were like within my age group that were within Arizona. Um, and really like training has evolved. I think for kids under the age of like 13, riding a track more often is something that I really press upon them. Um, because the only reason I got better was racing every weekend. I raced basically Thursday through Sunday, every day, every week. Um, and then just start adding in the gym when I got to high school, really. Um, so I, I, yeah, no, Arizona has been my spot and I love it here. And, and, uh, I think Arizona will continue to breed like really great, great riders. Absolutely. Yeah. Race your locals kids. <laughs> For sure. No kidding. I think that's the biggest thing that I saw. And I would ask kids like, Hey, like even with on the team, like 
why don't you race locals? Uh, you know, uh, there's no one there. I don't have competition. And well, maybe if you start racing, kids will want to race because they want to race you. Yeah. And then other people will go and like want to race you. So it'll help build your local, you know, like your local scene. But yeah, I always love coming back with the, well, you're not the only person that gets faster racing faster people. Like the yeah. people behind you are getting faster too. So yeah. they might be a competition for you soon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my dad and I would like get in the car and travel to like Lake Paris and like yeah. go to like Whittier just so I could race against, I mean, Ashley Recklaw, Jamie Lilly, they all race locals. And that was my only opportunity to like go to their local track and like really race them. Um, yeah. And it was a lot of fun. Like there are nights out at like Lake Paris where I had six girls that would make a main event in 13 year old girl. And it was like nag one through like nine, like any one of those girls had like a nag number under 10, which was amazing. And we would look at each other and we're like, holy crap, this is a national. And we're on a Friday night, Lake Paris local race, right. you know, but it was, it was fun and it was cool. And it was, it was a blast to be a part of. That's awesome. That's very cool. Um, well, I think my, one of my last questions is um, you mentioned that there are so many different things that, you know, help you become successful and well, sanctions, um, living in Arizona, the people you had around you. I mean, when you're looking for, for racers, is that everything you're looking for? You know, people who race, people with the family, like what's kind of that secret concoction to find a good racer? Yeah. Kind of all, all of the above. Um, I don't know if many people, like I said, take notice with our riders on remix, but a lot of them have, a lot of my riders have parents that are heavily involved. Mm -hmm. Um, you've got Colby Gunn, who Tia for the longest time was working and volunteering out at Black Mountain. She will score every so often when USA BMX needs her. Um, Joe and Tia are both incredibly involved in BMX. They love it. Um, they bring excitement to the tent. Logan's mom takes her like every which way to go to the nationals from Canada. Um, the Sam Hammers, like Mandy and Brian, absolutely amazing. Like if you want a team mom, that'll make you sandwiches because she knows you're not eating. Mandy is the person, um, meeting Cedric's parents over the weekend, um, in Phoenix was really great. Cause I'll be honest, I'd never seen his parents before. Um, so to have his parents hanging out, his sister hanging out in the pit was amazing. Um, his dad is like a hugger and gave hugs to everybody and said, good luck and good racing. Um, you know, the folk rods, every, literally every person on my team has a great family behind them. And I, that's why they're incredibly successful. Their parents are encouraging. Um, they make sure that they do the things that they need to do, um, but understand that it's on their own responsibility on the rider. Um, so none of my parents push any of their kids to train. They just, hey, if you don't train, you won't get faster. You may not be on a factory team, et cetera. Right. Um, so yeah, so it creates this really great environment. And I, and I do, I sit down and I talk with a parent um, and we have, talks about what it is I expect from their kids, what I expect from them. Um, and one thing that most people I don't think realize, I don't allow any alcohol in our pit. So there is like no drinking from the parents. Um, if they want to go to their RV, that's totally fine. But I don't allow alcohol like around the kids. Um, only because like that creates a level of, of behavior that sometimes I don't want to deal with. And certainly the kids don't want to have to deal with. Right. Um, and Anytime I mention that, the parents are always all on board. They're like, cool, okay. we're down for that. Um, so yeah, so I do. I look for great parents, great families. Um, I look for, like I said, well-rounded kids. I tell them they have to be doing school. Like you need to be getting 
good grades in your classes. If you start slipping, I, I want to know, like I tell the parents, like, come and tell me, um, my mom, bless her heart, love her to death. I was in the hunt for national one girl cruiser. And I remember I got a C on one of my tests and my mom, we were about to go to a national. I can't remember which one. And my mom put a hard stop to that. <laughs> so she could care less. She literally looked at me and said, I don't care. I don't care if you're going for a pro title. If you yeah. don't get your grade straight, you're not going. Um, and so I really call all of my, my athletes student athletes. Cause I want to make sure that they are successful all the way around. Um, but yeah, and the kids who just want to have fun, that just have passion for BMX and and want to ride their bike. Um, I don't know if anybody follows Levi Folkrod, but that kid on two way, wheels of anything loves anything on wheels. And so whether it's a dirt bike, a mountain bike, BMX bike, he just loves riding. Um, and that's kind of what I want on my team too. Awesome. Easy enough. I mean, yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> you know once i see that these kids are making it a job i'm like what are you doing you have your entire life to work like be right. a kid have fun yeah you can right. train and that's totally fine but like it is not life or death you did not make that main event because you made a mistake it's not the end of the world like yeah. learn from it move on go out and have fun with your friends like at the end of the day bmx like that's what they're there for you didn't fly all the way across the country just to like sit here and be pissed off the entire weekend because you had a bad practice on Friday. Like right. don't have fun. When you have fun, the results will, will come because you want to be there. You want to continue pushing. So the goal is to have many more races in the future, not just this one that you're here at. Exactly. And I think all too often, I'm like, do you see the list of nationals for the year? Like just because you did bad at one does not set the precedence for the entire year. So just Absolutely. keep that in mind, you know? And I think, and especially a lot of the kids like who have been on other teams and they're all on remix. I think they see a very different side of like a good balance between like having fun and doing what you're there to, to be doing and like really being strict on things that they need to be held accountable for. Um, yeah. And I think that's one of the neat things I hope everybody sees with like Cedric Cade in the next year or two or however long I, I hope he wants to stay with remix for, for the entire duration from here on out. Um, but when he came to us and he said, you know, hey, I, I have interest in riding for Remix, I literally was like, why? Out of all the teams, why do you want to ride for Remix? And he said, I want to look for a home. And I said, okay, but these are the standards that I want from you. You're a young adult, meaning you're about to be an adult. So you need to start acting like one. Um, and so, you know, he would come sit in the trailer, hang out with the kids, go on his recovery ride, whatever. Um, but it's, Nice to see a very different version of Cedric Cade. Um, and it shows on the track too. Like this sort of childish riding that he has been kind of known for doing, blasting people or just doing weird stuff like in Vegas when he like crashed on that triple. Um, he is very much more like a, a very well-composed rider. Um, and, and it'll be really great to kind of see him evolve with hopefully structure. Surprisingly enough, he wanted structure, which was great. Good. You know, not too many kids say, Hey, I want somebody to put the hammer down on me. And I'm like, all right, I can do that. That's fine. <laughs> no, that's awesome to hear. That's, that's, that's super cool. Yeah. Um, so, well, Kim, what is in the future for you? What do you have on the horizon or what do you want to do? Oh man. I will tell you, I used to be a planner. <laughs> I had a five, <laughs> 10 year plan. <laughs> used to be, um, 
I plan my day, I plan my week, but from here on out, I'm not even really sure. Um, I think some of the greatest things in my life have come from things that just popped out on a whim. Um, I have found that I definitely want to stay within like food and beverage. Um, so probably find me at a restaurant somewhere, um, managing, owning and operating. Hopefully one day I would love to like start like a, a restaurant group, um, or like an event planning group, things of that nature. Um, my brother's also in food and beverage. So my brother is like, uh, pretty, he's a decent chef. I'll say, I won't brag. I always brag about my brother, but, but he's a, a pretty fantastic chef, um, in the realms of like, uh, he's looking to gain, like, uh, become like a two Michelin star chef, hopefully in the near future. Um, so I told him, I said, if you ever want to get into the family business and open up something, like I'll definitely be there. So it's kind of wherever the wind takes me. I'm, I'm here learning, uh, at the current job that I'm at. There's a lot of things that I still need to learn, um, which hopefully will propel me forward. And, but I think food and beverage is, is where I'm going to stay. I love the people. It reminds me of like interacting with people in BMX. And so the answer is pretty ambiguous. It's not, I don't have a plan. It's, I just want to continuously keep progressing and see where I can kind of take my career. So awesome. whether that be where I'm at or in a different spot, you just kind of really never know. So sweet. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think all too often, like so many people, and, and I was very much this way when I got out of high school, like I had a plan, I knew where I was going to be and I had a plan and quickly I, I figured out that that dissolves so fast. And unless you can adapt to change and adapt to getting thrown a curveball in your life, like it it's difficult if you want to try to stick to that plan. So I am a yes person. If somebody gives me an opportunity and I feel like I will grow and learn from it. I am all on board. So that's how I took my BMX mentality. And that's how I take like my career and my, my current life situation is, is exactly the same. Like I just continuously want to be as successful as I can and just keep pushing and, and learning and doing the things that I need to do to be able to get there. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That it's funny. I'm, I'm the exact opposite. So I never <laughs> planned a thing in my life. Yeah. <laughs> out of high school into college, I kind of fell into an internship and then started working for, for USA BMX. But my wife is is that way. And she plans everything. Now, now that we've gotten married, she's a little bit better. I'm taking her over to the dark side, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, she was she's is a very big fan of yours. Um so I do want to oh. say that she she oh, grew up watching you. you, as did I, and we we learned a lot. We saw what you're doing and we're we we're starstruck. Definitely. Oh, well, thank you. It was, it was always interesting because I think it was the first one Gort came to me and, and wanted, I had, I went from riding for Gordy's and I got my first national number one title. And I looked at my death and I said, why am I not getting any factory offers? Um, yeah. I said, I just don't understand what I need to do. And he said, well, just keep doing your thing and we'll see what happens in the very next year. I got like five or six different offers. Yeah. Um, and it just so happens GT was one of them. And I saw GT and I immediately wanted to jump on the GT train because that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be a factory GT rider, uh, <laughs> Todd Corbett as my team manager. Um, and I don't know where or how, but my dad kind of had feelers out whether he was talking to people, but he had heard that Pacific cycles was going to get sold. Yeah. Um, and he kind of saw the development. We had talked to Gork. Gork had already brought on Bubba. He had already been on the team for a year. He wanted to bring me on as, as the girl 
and just leave it as this really small team. And my dad just figured like, you know, they're going kind of all in on you. I think this is going to be a better bet. And I reluctantly said, okay, like I'll go with red line because and at, I won't go with GT. I know <laughs> I'm like, I'll go with red line, I guess, even though, you know, obviously red lines, a, a, a wonderful brand. It's huge. People know red line. It's iconic. Um, and, and I signed on the dotted line and within like a year or two, kind of GT, Powerlight, Robinson, they all just kind of dissolved. Um, and I was very thankful. Why? I went with my dad's instinct and, and signed with Redline. I don't know, but I'm super <laughs> thankful for that. Um, but yeah, it was at the age of like 14. And when you're told like, hey, you're going to sign your first pro contract. These are the things that you have to give up. You're like, oh, no school dances, no like football games, like things right. of that nature. Um, I did tell Gork I was going to go to my senior prom because I was never homeschooled. And uh, I did tell him when I went, got into high school, I played varsity softball and basketball. So I had to make a commitment to them. But I, uh, I, I told my mom, I, she said, I hope you understand like what you have to give up to be able to do this. And I was like, all right, you know, just nonchalantly. Okay. And the years rolled on and rolled on and um, getting paid as a teenager was, was a big deal. My friends were working at Harkins theaters and picking up popcorn off the floor, right. working at McDonald's. And I was racing my bike for a living. Um, but with that came pictures and autographs and interviews and having to like coach. And my parents had to like, basically teach me how to do an interview, uh, <laughs> be in the public eye and, and things of that nature. And so not all that often. I would do really bad. And it's the same thing. I would do really bad. And my parents are like, you better suck it up because there's five kids who want your picture with you and you got to like go, they pay your bills. Like you need to go and take a picture with them. Right. Um, and looking back at it, like I am grateful that my parents taught that to me um, and understood that these kids looking up to me was something, even though I was just a kid you know, was incredibly important for them. Um, and I saw lots of pros blow off riders. My brother was one included. He was a little guy. He was like eight years old, ran up to one of the pros and they just blew him off and he had tears in his eyes. Yeah. So, you know, when these kids look up to you, it's, it's your job in that, in that position to do that. Um, but you never grasp like the reality of it. You never grasp like, Oh, you're, you're my hero or you're my role model. You know, you're 16 years old. You're like, Oh my God, I'm just learning how to drive. What do you mean? You know? Um, you know? And so when you have people like Mark post come up to you and say, Hey, like my daughter, Elise absolutely loves you. Like, yeah. can you watch her racing and give her some tips? And I'm six to 15 years old. <laughs> sure. Why not? You know, I, I don't really know what I'm doing, but yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and all too often I'd find myself like I was one. And to this day, like I do enjoy sitting in the stands and watching racing. Yeah. Um, just so I have an idea of like who the riders are being a team manager. I pretty much know all the kids, like the top 20 kids in each class. Um, and so I sit and I watch and I stand by the finish line and I watch the kids and, and this is, you can put this out there, I guess, but team managers all too often need to stand at the finish line and see how these kids act at the finish line, because you'll get a very good idea of who they are and their character. And that's why I do that. People just think I'm just hanging out, whatever, <laughs> but I really do. I'm always like on the clock. I'm like watching how they behave, what they're doing, the things that are being put on social media. I have Snapchat. And for whatever reason, these kids think they want to add me. So I do see some of the stuff that they post. Um, so I have my ear to the ground. 
Um, but I found myself even as like a 15 year old sitting in the stands watching amateur racing. And that sounds so ridiculous to say, cause I was 15, but, <laughs> um, and I would have kids come and sit like Elise, Tara Nichols, like these girls were consistently always like, they'd find me in the stands and come sit and watch racing with me. They'd hang out. Um, you know, the Amanda's Amanda Geving and Amanda Carr, I grew up basically racing you know, in front of them and then racing against them. Um, So it's really neat. And I think the coolest thing to watch is what Mariana and Elise have done for women's BMX. Um, It reminds me very much of like Sammy and myself um, to watch them continuously push each other and become these huge icons within the BMX world is it's, it's very breathtaking. And I'm incredibly proud of like both of them and what they've done and how they project themselves um last year at the grands no lot the year before when mariana was there she was literally sitting in the stands and everybody walked by her and nobody knew like mariana (laughs) and i like went down there and i was like hey because i'm like like, biggest fans and i'm like hey and she's like hi and i'm sitting there talking to her and all not a single person was like stopping to get a picture with her and i'm like do you everybody know who this is so it's kind of cool. Like I get to geek out on like the girls who said they looked up to me now yeah. that they're adults. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm your biggest fan. Um, <laughs> she actually gave me her Jersey and I like flipped out. I couldn't stop talking about it for like a good week. So that's awesome. yeah, so it's cool. It, it's a, it's a neat thing to watch like the evolution. Um, so hopefully like these younger girls have an idea of like their heroes and can kind of mimic their actions, like going forward too. you know, you never forget the people you look up to even as an adult. So, you know, <laughs> like when you see them, I met, uh, uh, well, Jesus, Gary Ellis. I saw him at Grands, yeah. and I walked over and I was like, you don't know who I am, but I know who you are. And, uh, <laughs> it, he was like, I know who you are. And I freaked out. Like, and I was just, I walked over to the remix set and I was like, guys, <laughs> I <just> Gary Ellis. <laughs> and I introduced myself and he knew who I was. I don't even know what to do with myself. So, you know, I think that's what BMX should be about is having these heroes and, and, uh, these pros, like really being like heroes for these kids, you know, that's, uh, part of the fun uh, of BMX. And, and I miss the days where, you know, you cross the finish line as a pro and there's these horde of kids just waiting to get your, your number plate. Um, I don't think I made it past a Friday practice without a kid asking for my number plate. So I'd have to break free with me to the races, you know? So I hope that BMX starts ahead in that direction um, because that's that's kind of like that missing puzzle piece right now. I feel like that I grew up with that some of these kids like don't. And Barry's done like a really great job of featuring him and he's a rock star. Um, And I don't know what it's gonna take for the rest of these pros to get on that same level. You know, like I, I don't know what it is to get like people to be like, oh my God, that's so-and-so, or oh my God, that's so-and-so, you know? Um, Mayor Strongbird sat in the Supercross tent in Salt Lake, Olympic, two-time Olympic gold medalist, and yeah. not a single kid asked for his autograph. And I, he was just literally sitting in plain sight. <laughs> so like, what do we have to do to change that, you know? Like, I don't right. know what it is. <laughs> we'll see. We'll figure it out. We'll figure, we'll it, figure out. it out eventually. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully, maybe <laughs> I have kids, and then they start racing. Maybe by then we'll like figure it out, and they'll have. Yeah, to you'll it. you'll introduce them to to other. Yeah, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll start. I'll start it with my kid when I have a kid eventually. Yeah. Maybe 
(laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So it's neat to hear that like you guys feel the same way I do when you see people that you're like, Oh my God, do you remember them? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, she, my, my wife grew up in Minnesota with Elise. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it, It was really funny. It's like, Wow, there you just had both, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kim and Elise, like just right back to back, like it's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of told I was Jason and I were talking. We told Gork we're like, hey, you should have like a little area on just red line at like the BMX museum because yeah. of like the different generations. I mean, it was literally like Bubba, myself, and Carnes, and then it was Carnes, Sam, and Elise. Right. And so it's really cool to see those literally like a decade of racing and another decade of racing of like back to back, just like straight domination. Um, it It's not all that often does that happen. So that's cool. Oh, yeah. I want to know what work did with the trailer. Like, I don't know if you saw the inside of the trailer door for Redline. Yeah. I want to know what you did with that. Cause like, that was really cool. So Redline's office is just downsized. So we got a bunch of like the old, um, like prototype frames and those jerseys. Oh yeah, yeah. The door they were taking to the new office. Oh no way, dang! Like they even like Gore, I think Gork even asked, like, "Hey, can I have the the trailer door?" They're like, "No, that's going to be in our, our office still." So, <laughs> no way. That is so cool. That is one thing that I think like people who saw the door um, were really like, "Holy crap! That is so cool!" <laughs> like, that is amazing. So yeah, it was, man, if that door ever goes anywhere, like it better go back to where you guys are at. Cause that right. is an iconic door for sure. So it's the same so with cool. the, the MBL trailer door that's in uh, Louisville right now. We want to get that here. To oh, yeah. Too, so. oh yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool, man. One of these days, like I would love to like see how we can do like a NBL like sort of like reunion thing. Cause I would definitely make time out of my day to like see Bob and Paulie and like Irma and all of them, like literally, cause uh, they were literally like my family. I felt like they were like my grandparents. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna have to like figure out how we can arrange something. What I will probably do is like hit up Al Roybal and ask him like, hey man, you're good at organizing these things. How That's can we true. make this? Yeah, get get Al on that. That'll be a good, good way to do that. <laughs> he was Mr. NBL too. So yeah. So yeah. But I'm not gonna lie, I was so pumped for Tara when I saw she was she was being inducted in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Tara's like one of those people I looked up to as well. And I had the opportunity to like room with her when yeah. she decided to go for the Olympic run. So she is an awesome individual. Like meeting Sherry Elliott and like all these various different women, like being around Jamie Lilly and Michelle Carnes and Marie McGilvery, like they're all such great characters. Yeah. Um, and I, that's another thing. It's like, I would love to have like a girls pro like get together too. Cause it would just be wild. Absolutely <laughs> wild. I could see even Courtney, Courtney with her two kids showing up like, right. <laughs> yeah. so yeah. Well, I appreciate you and uh, putting me in this. It's, this will be a cool thing to, to read about and, and all that. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Appreciate course. you doing it. Um, yeah. And actually, I am going to run and go join an all-girls clinic that my wife and Peyton are putting on right now. So, oh, Tell them I said hello. Absolutely, I will. Oh, man. 